Yes, P-I-P-E-S, that's right. Uh -huh. And then Karen is under the weather today, today, please. And I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow, so.
We just praise your name, God, that we can be here on the worship. We can look into your scripture and pray that you will keep it all on track and that it will be all correct. And we thank you and praise you for the missionary trip where we have part of our body here down there. So we ask you to keep them safe and bring them back to us. Thank you and pray you for all these things in Christ our Lord. So I might the act up just a little bit, not much, but uh, again, participation is welcome tonight. They take take a little bit off of my try to keep up with all the all the things we have in the process of Looking at the Ephesians, um, this last part, I think we stopped at verse 17. Not sure if that was, uh, was exactly where we stopped or not. I'm going to back up just a little bit. I'm going to start at 15. And we'll start reading there. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Which Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that in that is in Jesus. <clears throat> you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no more, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, 
Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I read that in the NIV. And so, bring out any differences or any nuances, differences from the King James. It's all King James and the NIV are the different spectrums of word-for-word uh, -word translation or to meaning-for-meaning translation. And the emphasis there is sometimes on the Greek words. Um, one of the things that I'll start off with a little bit is backing up to 4.1. This is the first part of this. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So this is a calling. This is a Paul is sort of saying, okay, here's the application. Here's what we were called to. But he goes back to what you shouldn't be. He paints a clear picture of the contrast here first, kind of actually woven into the whole um, the whole four chapters, a contrast. What you were. They know full well what they were. We know full well what we were in, in the days before we were brought to Christ. By the way, it's still going on. We can't get rid of the old man. It still happens. And so, and, and Paul brings this out. So he's very clear in this process of what we should expect in becoming um, becoming like Jesus, children of God, like the body, like the church, like all these things we've kind of heard about. And so then in Ephesians, now I'm back to um, verse 15, we're going back a little further. 13 through 16, the goal of spiritual maturity. And you might want to just take that for a minute and let's kind of have you talk about that a little bit. But what is the goal of spiritual maturity? So it's, it's essential for all Christians, first of all, that maturity is essential. And it hinges on three phrases that follow the statement that Christ appointed apostles evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers. We can talk about that a little bit. We can break that off a little bit, but I don't mean to go back too far. I think that's even back further. But if we go back, yeah, if we go back to verse 11, but going forward from there, this makes more sense. Because there's two human types here that Paul's talking about. What you came from and were, and what you are to become. 
And so for the work of the ministry, the works of service, there's three clauses here. For the work of ministry, I kind of have to go back and find out what they are in here. Uh, God's people for the works of service is what the NIV says. I think they, the second clause then is so that the body of Christ may be built up and the other thing is for the equip, equipment of the saints, for equipping the saints. And the third phrase is for the building up the body of Christ. Notice that it is the work that it goes back to these several people work of the ministry towards equipping the body of Christ, the saints in the church the people in the church there's no, there's no hierarchy there, please we don't see that We don't. that isn't important here it's just that some are gifted as it says, for these jobs and then for building up the entire body of Christ. What is that? The goal of spiritual maturity. Everybody is maturing. So, in that maturity, I'm, I'm going to jump further back here a little bit just so you can keep this in mind. Is this a mature church? Don't answer. <laughs> That's not a, it's a rhetorical question. What, what it is here? As you begin to put new converts in a church, the church never reaches maturity. You see that? It never reaches maturity. They can't if we're doing our job right. If we're doing the, the work of the ministry, equipping the saints and building up the body, the young people come in and we build them up. And they become an immature church for a short period until they mature. They themselves, we pass on, we're gone, and then the saints are mature, immature, back and forth. Mature, immature, we grow in quite different ones, but the body is the body, it's everyone. And the maturity is the process. It never ends until it ends. Until Christ calls an end to the Gentiles. In this case, the Gentiles. It ends. But the maturity is what we will talk about a little bit tonight. I want to get you kind of uh, asking questions and throwing some things in there because when Paul brings out there is a believer and an unbeliever in Christianity, just like the wheat and the tares. And they are undiscernible to the naked eye, but like the wheat and Darnell, the tares, Christians are measurable by the fruit. We're measurable. We can tell. And so we're not left without discernibility on who is producing fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23, and Ephesians 9, uh, 5, 9, and the fruit of the world are opposite. The fruit of the world, like shame, Romans 6, 21, and death, Romans 7, 5. These are the fruits of the world. What are our fruits? I'll read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, 
such there is no law. Galatians 5.22. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Ephesians 5.9. The later we'll see Paul bring that out in this, in this book. And then Romans 6.21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So, is the person in the church who maybe you're concerned with is a false teacher or not on the right page? Is he building up the church? Is he doing these three clauses? Is he equipping the saints? Is he doing the work of the ministry? And the work of the ministry is, you know, one of those things. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and of course apostles are gone. But, uh, and so it becomes really interesting how Paul begins to separate these two things. The same people, the same families, the same Ephesians. And uh, he begins to say, you know, uh, spirit and this guy named E. E. states the recipients of this epistle um, to grow towards the goal of spiritual maturity, which is requisite and which is required for them to walk worthy of the calling, that four one they have received, including. Maintaining the unity of the Spirit with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with other, with one another in love. Kind of going back to Galatians a little bit. The goal of maturity of the church is a discernible destination. So the goal of maturity, you know, we're just talking about the goal of spiritual maturity. And that's what we mean here is spiritual is the servile destination. And the approach to that destination forces Christians to become one. All those things. Not separate, not going off in different areas. So let's talk about that. Anybody want to bring up um, a verse or a before we get into false misleading doctrines and to and fro that you can be buffeted like the winds. Um, what is spiritual maturity? Anybody wants to participate? Spiritual maturity. What in your life has caused you to think you're on a path? We all have got our idea of this. I, I, have to believe that you're on a path of spiritual maturity. Is there anybody, any thoughts on that? Like being plugged into the church tonight. We get energy from each other. We, we are, what, encouraged from one another. We are 
are not alone. That's huge. That is, is that huge, Rachel? Iron sharpens iron. Yeah. It's wisdom in, in much many, many counselors. Right. And um, we're, we're learning from each other. The more, the more I study the scripture, the more I want to study it. And when I wasn't studying it, that's when I got into trouble. So, um, you know, the hunger for the word of God. Right. So important. And, and the Lord has given me that through you all and through the study with Pastor McGee. And the thing I know it, when Pastor McGee and I go back and find out how to dig deeper and deeper to really know what he's trying to get across. So, without this imperative, Paul is giving us a action verb to go and to mature in the church. We would fall prey to how do we keep from falling prey to false teaching or to misleading doctrines, if you will. Our doctrines, we can have a difference in, in the way we think that. That's the iron sharpening iron, as I said. We can't be a vacuum. And, and Christ, the whole body of Christ is there for that very reason, to hold us in check so that we don't go off on a tangent, so they're on our own course and not have some checks and balances, which is wonderful. That doesn't mean that we have to go on just what we say. John MacArthur says this. Greg Kinger says that. Somebody else says that. In the, in the midst of that, there can be several things that we agree on. And Paul's bringing out one of here we're going to go into a little bit. Two human types. I guess what I see is uh, up in 16, verse 16. Um, I think with homecoming and the revival, where it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I think. That was very present and evident at home. This ESV says it just a little bit different. It says when each work when each part is working properly. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And it's in love. It's not there's a process by which correction is made and it's filled out. But in the in the maturing um, the dynamics of the church is always changing, remember? Young young people come in with new ideas and the older <coughs> saints have had long battles and have have held their own and they have wisdom, there was and the energy is in the younger group to, to go out and possibly evangelize or to do something uh, in the name of Christ. And so those two 
and and uh, they hold each other together. The 414, I'm backing up one more, I guess, a couple more. Um, there's a word, I'm trying to find it right now, 414. Um, Cunning and craftiness, which, listen to this. This is done by um, uh, Bea. Cunning craftiness, which alludes to a supernatural evil power that seeks to deceive Christians that a false teacher possesses. A cunningness and a craftiness. For the reason to deceive, this wording only used in Ephesians 4:14, plural in Ephesians 6:11, is defined as the well thought out methodology art of leading astray for the purpose of human trickery. Why? Well, the devil's work again. This means maturity of the church is a requirement. That's what I'm saying. We've got to have a maturity. And what matures us? So what makes, what's our defenses? It's the reading of the scriptures, knowing the word of God, and knowing relationship to Jesus. We know who Jesus is by our relationship. This maturity and this and he's going to go into some of the vices here next, of which we have been delivered from. But keep in mind, as we have been saved, we have been transformed, but not all the way. Not completely yet. Already, but not yet. Not yet totally. But as we go in this maturity, we all become one. We all become like Christ. We are attached to the body of Christ. The ligaments and the, the very uh, sinew that holds us together is in Christ. In Christ. We're saved in Christ. So anything that falls outside of Christ is false teaching. Anything that falls outside of the Bible, false doctrine. Anything that is inside it and that we may not be able to interpret. That's why we have each other. That's why we're maturing. And eventually, a new group's going to come on that has to learn it all over again. But meanwhile, we've learned it. We've come closer and closer down that narrow road till we, we conform to the likeness of Christ. Paul stating here, the gospel message is then shared by all to transform the world as the kingdom of heaven grows. So the kingdom of heaven is coming out of the world and is maturing. It's still not perfect, but it's perfect maturing. And, um, but I think that uh, you're going to mature until the day you die. Yeah. Because you're going to always learn something. You think you got it together, but then... You know, like the new people, the young, the young uh, Christians and stuff. These older people like me, there's something that we want to pick up from them that we wouldn't even thought about. Right. Because if we we went our way, but they got new ideas, 
and, and they got new thoughts by reading what's in the Bible that maybe we didn't catch. Because I think I think as long as I live, I'm going to always learn to, my maturity is going to be until I die. Yeah, that's exactly I'm going to always learn. And we, we are iron sharpening iron. It doesn't matter whether you're older or younger. You know, those new ideas begin to pull together. And it's this wording, this this craftiness, cunning and craftiness thing here, this uh, this art of leading astray is only used in Ephesians 4.14. And again, the plural part of it is in 6.11. It's only used here in Ephesians. It's interesting. And the Ephesians must have had lots of trickery going on back in their day. You know, they must have had a lot of fighting. So now as we move forward, I call this anger and other vices. In this new life, we're putting away the walk of the world. Fought by Christ in truth. So given the gospel, some evangelists in this group of people Paul was talking about came and told us the gospel message. And this began our transformation. And it's happened at belief and conversion. It happened. But guess what? Yet believers are still being transformed by the Spirit. And nature states, the old nature does not go down without a fight. <laughs> Anybody any thoughts on that? It, your old nature, you get angry, and they talk about anger. Any thoughts on that? Your old nature. And, and you, it's a fight. And, and you're struggling with that. And, and at some point, it doesn't mean you're not in Christ. It doesn't mean you've lost the battle in your house. You know, it's the work of Christ. It's not our work. But we, Paul is quick to point this out first by contrasting the Gentile with the true believer. He's quick to point this out the contrast here. He's going to throw all the contrasts in the pile here. He's going to say things like, old man. You've got to get rid of the old man. You've got to put him on. Any thoughts on that? Go on that if there's somebody who wants to. Well, like I tell people, you know, it's kind of, it's like a bad example, but this is the way I look at it. Once you become saved, you almost have like a split personality. You got the old man fight the new man. You know, there's a lot of things. I mean, it's just a struggle. I mean, before you got saved, you just did what the flesh wanted to do. Now, you got this spirit living inside of you. Before you even do something or say something, the spirit's like, hey, don't do that. Or don't say that. I mean, you're already being convicted before you do it. I mean, at least I still end up doing the wrong thing sometimes. So it's a struggle. Yeah. It is, and, and uh, it's, it's, the transformation isn't our uh, works or ability either, it's, it's the Spirit transforming us, and we are transformed into the likeness of Christ over time. Many, many trials, many errors, many, by the way, forgiving is in this chapter. <laughs> 
And I could never forgive my stepmother, but I did. And when I did, and mm, blessings come out of doing what the Spirit tells you to do. Blessings. One thing, you may not do the sinful thing. It's a blessing in itself. Another thing is, you may not realize it, but if you watch real close, I am convinced, and I'm a little weird here, this is not something you can count on, but God does something in the way of blessing, either in encouragement or in some way He, he gives you <coughs> gives you some feedback. You may have been trying to do something for years, all of a sudden, breaks all all ones in front of you. You had nothing to do with it, and you've been wondering that happen and it happens, and you got the front row seat to it. When that happens, you know God is in it. There's things that we, my uh, wife and I, know that God was in that, but we don't know that we just feel blessed. I mean, you just gotta walk away with the blessing and to say I have been blessed. But you know, whenever, before you were saved, and I'm talking about myself, I thought as long as you live right, you done right, that that was good enough. Until you go and you listen to the Word, and really listen to it, then you know it's not right. Because that the Lord feels you for you know you're wrong. And you just it break you down. You, you, you just, and, and we can tell that story. Jane. It's and completely it's, different from what you thought. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Completely different. You yeah. tell that story. That's your narrative. That's your Christian story that you can relate. And people will, will not care about saying their story, they don't have one. When they hear yours, and it becomes unbelievable, believable, whatever, they they know there's something there, something to that. And the way Paul describes it, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light. We have shed darkness. He says, they have left lasciviousness, uncleanness, greediness, and and, and uh, not having learned this of Jesus. It's not of Christ. And when they when they see that they have, the Ephesians have dropped all this stuff, and when we say we dropped all the monkey business, the the silliness, the lascivious, I can't even say it, word, lasciviousness, uncleanness. The bad stuff. We don't desire that. That fact we hate it. We begin to hate it, but it takes that transforming power. God has to work on us, that old man. Transformation from the old man to the new man in the life of labor requires renewing of the mind by the Holy Spirit. Just like you said, you read the word. When you read it's not that way. It doesn't work that way. It works this way. And you begin to see it work. And when it begins to work, 
it, it's like encouragement. It's like he's the Barnabas in your life. The guy that was a bit great encouragement. Or he's simply going to give you one of those blessings. It's like that you thought you had it all together and then then you didn't have nothing together. Right. Until you got saved. And then you know. You know why the reason behind it. At the end of this chapter, there's something that's wrong. That you should do. There's something right you should do. And there's a I think somebody said, you know, some people, if you listen, some people can say just the right thing you need to hear. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he puts those people in your life. And usually they're, what, Christian. They're usually someone who understands the Word of God, or at least compassion and love and concern. Uh, I've said it a couple times, but there's people hurting out there who may not even know them, and if you, at the right moment, touch them, uh, not inappropriately, you just touch them in compassion or concern, you bring that to it also. It, 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 it's, it, it breaks into their world. It gives you some credit currency with that person. You can speak to that person. Maybe not all once, just don't blast them, but you know, you, you can speak into their heart at that point in time. There's a wide open, no one knows that in the world. And I found that it's a very delicate thing. You've got to be prompted by the Holy Spirit in some ways. Well, I've been talking about the Word. I can sit here and I can study the word, but until I apply it in my life, it's not going to be any good. That's right. That's the main thing. You know, accepting what it says and then applying it to different things. Do I apply it? And Paul says in these words, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Back in the days of authority, that they are no longer to walk as the unbelieving Ephesians get out of the world's wild, crazy thing. And that is doing, that is beginning to apply. And he's saying, get out of the Gentile world, but to Yield now to the Spirit's transformation. Remember, the preceding I, Paul, was authority. And Daniel, we talked about that earlier. When he later states that the Ephesians have not so learned of Christ and being renewed in the spirit of your mind, it has something to do with mind. Reading the Bible and seeing that what it means is different than what you learn in the life. And he is contrasting it with the ignorance of not reading the Word, of the unbelieving Ephesians who are without knowledge, and guess where that comes from? That comes from agnostic. It's not that agnostics are against Christianity. They just don't know. Agnostics are without knowledge. 
And so explaining that ignorance is in them, meaning and a present state of mind in the unbeliever, so blame for their ignorance falls in them, not in God. Let me read that again. He explains that this ignorance is in them, meaning it's a present state of mind in that unbeliever, so the blame falls on him. His mind must be transformed. Transformed? How does that go? Someone help me out there. Reading the word. Huh? By the renewing of your mind or something like that. Right. Reading is the renewing of your mind and hearing is hearing the word and reading the word is what transforms you. I forget how it goes. But in that process, this alienation from God is huge. It's a past state for the believer. Past, I mean, it's beyond in the past for us. They have been drawn near. Romans 5.10. So we've been drawn near to the truth. We've been drawn near by the word. We've been drawn, we've heard the gospel message. It begins to transform us. Without question, ignorance is supported with the clause hardness of heart and blindness. The words here, and I can't say them because they're very Greek, they're very Hebrew to me. It comes out of Isaiah 6:10. It's akin to blindness or hardness of heart. So, um, I'm not going to read the Bible, though, some of you might say. I'm not going to look into it. I'm not going to... Um, why would I want to read the Bible? It's got so many translations that it's meaningless now. Yeah, right. There's one basic narrative translated so a lot of people can read it. Pick your Bible and read it. And by the way, pick another one and read it. It's going to mean the same thing. They sound a little different. They have a few different words, but it means the same thing. So, the process that believing takes, the process starts with a way of life learned. Verse 20. So, you look at this way of life. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. It's a way of life. And you have, you have the progressive transformation starts through knowing who Jesus is, number one. Through, through the mind we are taught, verse 22, by the teachers appointed in our life. Teachers, verse 11. After hearing, verse 21, of Christ by an evangelist, verse 11. Back to verse 11. Bachelor's appointment. Maybe. Not always. And then in accordance of the truth, verse 21, that is preached of Jesus, verse 11 again. These people who are doing these three clauses, lifting up the saints, are proclaiming and, and doing the work of the ministry, and are what? Unifying the body. 
The saints also are working alongside as they've been lifted up by those with the various talents. And so, wow, this is all connected with the new life that the body of Christ reinforces with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're blessed. We're just flat blessed. We can't get away from it. We're, as long as we insert ourselves into the body of Christ, somehow, and how we do that is awkward. I don't think we do that all right, but when we go visit a shut-in, when we pray for someone, and this is a praying church, when we put our arms around each other and say, whatever compassionate thing is needed to be said at the time, we're going to face hurt, we're going to face loss, we're going to face maybe um, concern about what's going on in the world. We're just, we're just a mess. But in this process, once the believer is in Christ, transformation begins and the old man is put off and the attitudes of our mind change. The truth is known and the darkness is lifted and the new man is made to conform to the righteousness of God. All these things convert. It's no wonder Paul wrote these things as one huge long sentence. <laughs> Every one of these verses, is, it doesn't have a period at the end, and he ties it all together, or at least he tries. Um, but, the separate facts of the believer, um, no longer ignorant, darkened in their understanding, or futile in their thinking, these are not commands. But, I'm sorry, not the separate, descriptive facts of the believer. These are facts. These are not commands. These are facts. All stating the facts of the believer. And we say that again. No longer ignorant. We know what we know that we know. We're not darkened in our understanding or futile in our thinking. These are descriptive facts of the believer. Paul gives Five exhortations at the end of this. I just want to get through these exhortations because probably a little discussion on that too. I'm going to read one at a time. At the end of this chapter, there's five exhortations. He's giving an exhortation. I don't know how to say that right, but he gives three things on those exhortations. One is a negative command a positive command and a reason for the positive command in every case. It's so clear that someone didn't say that, I would have missed it. But, exhortation one, let's talk about put away falsehood. Tell the truth. In other words, the command, don't lie. And the command, tell the truth. The reason, believers are all members of the body and conform to reality, creating unity and conformity, one in Christ, because God only operates in the truth. And that's, that's towards the end here. Um, so let's have you talk about that a little bit. 
Section 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Kind of goes over quick when it says it one sentence. Yeah. I mean, it there's no reality in Christ that we're not operating in the truth. It just all gets cycled. The first one is, I guess, lying. Any thoughts on that? How about the little kids? What the little kids do? Fine. Yeah, well, any, I think they all do it, don't they? <laughs> They know, and they kind of know that. Um, today, I think some of the people way up there don't know that they're telling the right or the wrong, that they just believe a lie. And, and we've got to be careful that we don't believe a lie because we told it to ourselves in the form of a lie, and that is we know. And that's what Paul is saying. It's just be real to your neighbor. He, he doesn't use the neighbor word, at least in my NIV translation. Is it in there at 125? For we are all made members of one body. He doesn't use that lightly. Um, to, to his neighbor, he's bringing up a couple stories. Like, who is, who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You know, you have something like, hey, So they know, don't they? And they're good at knowing. They haven't been, not old enough, start moving something that's just stupidly alive. They haven't had to do research yet to find out if it's right or wrong. They know. And the people today don't do the research. They check things out and they don't know. Yeah, it's about the first thing a child knows is right from wrong. Yeah. They can know, I don't care how old they are, they don't take them wrong, they'll know. Okay. And an adult knows, but they try to pass it by to get what's wrong. I think a lot of people choose not to receive God's revelation. Yeah. You know, they. they it out. Just, um, so they can't hear his voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not. And ignorance comes down too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot about The second one. Leaders are not to stay angry. This is probably a lot of discussion. For they are not to sin is the possible thing. What, what, how is that connected? You know, that's a keep short accounts. Keep short accounts on your anger. Keep short accounts. The devil wants to intensify anger that causes Christians to sin. He wants to intensify the anger. That's the one I'm at. Sorry. 
You don't want to get angry or get angry. You're not the only one that does that, though, because it, that's the easiest thing to do is when there's somebody does you wrong. <clears throat> it's the easiest thing for you to do is to to hold that in you and not let it go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that myself. I mean, going through my husband's. You can, I mean, him never had any problem. If, if we had, if we was under, we had each other know that was it. He didn't hold a grudge. But whenever somebody outside in your family does you wrong, it's like hard to get it out of Anger can And sometimes you don't ever get it out of Anger can turn into revenge. And acted on it sick. Well, yeah, it can do that, or either it, you just, it just holds there and stays. Yeah. You pretty good size fire hose to put that fire out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that, was big, that was a big, that was a big fire that started it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I've had one, you know. Um, and there's times when I can choose. They can choose which battle I want to stay. If I choose the battle, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I go after it. I shouldn't. But the most glorious thing I had in this whole thing is I have a lot of anger towards a person that I forgave. And when I did, it all went away. Now that's never happened. I hold a little back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. I know. But some people, but not in this case. Yeah, he didn't act on it while he was going to, but then he thought his family was more important than his, the person. And he never had anything else to do with it. He said, I'm just letting go. Well, we've got to keep, our, uh, keep short accounts. And I know I am, and I will have anger about something. And we got to close it out before we go to bed. <laughs> we do. You don't never do it. And I taught my young of that too. Don't never go to bed mad at this. Don't ever do that. And you got time to say, get it out, and that's it. I want to hear more what happened yesterday. It's over. Good. You can't go to sleep anyway. No. Well, I'll sleep for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. That was number two, where you three, four, and five. Christians are not to steal. Not to steal. And instead, they are to work. That's interesting. And they are work, and the reason is to do useful work to help others who are in need. That's nothing to do with, with personally stealing anything. You know, idle hands of the Workshop of the devil. And that comes out of Ecclesiastes somewhere. Ecclesiastes. I don't hear the workshop of the devil, or maybe that's a mistake. I don't know. Well, I have some idle hands sometimes. The, the thing is, we're not to steal, we're not to take things. So, you're busy and work, and, it, and you're providing something for yourself anyway. And share it with others who are in need. So it's pretty straightforward, but it's 
it's one of those things where stealing comes from what? So this is a test question. Rachel, I'm not asking you a test question tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but they say somebody go, wow, steal too. Where, where does stealing come from? Um, from the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. Right, and we shouldn't be envious. And so we're envious. We begin to fester or fan the flames of taking. Not always, but I mean, that's one other thing. And the, um, you know, I think all sources not to be envious is, is one other thing. Not to compare. Some are rich, some are poor. Um, that fits in here. Don't be idle. Work instead. Do useful work. You can help others to feel better and you can go on and probably provide something for yourself. Exhortation four, do not speak unwholesome words. Instead, what? Speak uplifting words for the very purpose or reason of edification, encouragement, and to benefit the hearers. Don't speak idly or gossip or unwholesomely. Instead, you know, encourage or uplift people. The benefit, the reason is for building up the body of Christ. Right there. You know, we talk about someone or we can lift them up or we can encourage them. You know, feel better and, you know, an old saying, I don't know if it fits there, but you put the A's on the refrigerator door, not the F's. The F's will disappear. You put the good things that you children do on the refrigerator door. Look at that. And the F's disappear. Yeah, may have to work out on that too, but the encouragement does more than discouragement. Most days. So, um, and the last one, and this is multi-dimensional. Believers are to rid themselves of six vices. Bitterness, rage, and anger surfaces here again. Brawling, slander, and malice. That's six. And there's three things that count. And we don't have to, well, I have to go get a whole pile of things to counter this. Just three things. Kindness, compassionate, and be compassionate, and the third one, forgiving. Probably the hardest things. The reason that in Christ, God is kind, compassionate, and gracious to believers, and didn't.
lot in hand. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, go ahead and I'm going to close and uh, discuss that. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being here with us and for guiding us through uh, Ephesians. And we just uh, lift all the folks up that we and before and just ask you to be um, close to our missionary team down there and give them um, safety all the way through. And we thank you for day to day. Look forward 